Finding God in Unexpected Places. This is the Messy Spirituality Podcast. Here's Jason Elam. This is Jason Elam here with another Messy Spirituality Conversation. I'm joined by my friend Joe Machuda today. Uh, Joe, it's so good to be talking to you this morning. Well, it's great to be talking to you, Jason. Uh, I love your podcast, and uh, it's an honor for me. I, I really appreciate the opportunity to have this conversation. Joe, I think you're probably the most prolific poster in the Messy Conversations group. Uh, you've been an active part of that for a very long time. And I've followed your work on your blog, but also, you know, we've we've bumped up against each other a little bit online. Uh, you sent me messages that have been very encouraging to me. You're somebody I've wanted to talk to for a long time. When I kind of retired the podcast a while ago, one of my great regrets is that we never got to have this conversation. So I'm grateful to come out of retirement and talk with you this morning. Uh, I'm really glad that you came out of retirement. I'll tell you, you're uh, you're a voice in uh, the deconstruction community that really blesses me. And I love your spirit. Uh, I, I love everything about what you do. Uh, so just know that you're really appreciated by me. I, I appreciate that. And you've been really encouraging to me in that regard. Um, I, I'm anxious to hear more of your story. Do you mind starting us where, where I tend to start all of these interviews? Were you raised in a religious environment? Uh, a most religious environment, halfway. Uh, I was raised in uh, GARB, which is the General Association of Regular Baptist Churches. Uh, my mother was fanatic. And my father had been a Catholic, but he went along with her, uh, but never went to church. So I was drugged to... Uh, church all the time. And at the time that I was young, it, it was a time when we had three services on Sunday, uh, a Wednesday night service, a Thursday night service. There was Friday or Saturday night youth services. So I was raised in the church, essentially. And so I had doctrine and dogma uh, shoved down my throat from infancy almost. So you, you basically lived at the church. What kind of things were they teaching you in GARB? Was that shorthand for garbage? <laughs> uh, it, it could be. I had a pastor that I actually love a lot. He's oh, good. going on. Oh. But he was a person that believed in once saved, always saved. And so he was an enigma within that church uh, system. And so I was taught that you didn't have to worry about your eternal security. Later on, that caused me some consternation as I got older because I was afraid that maybe that wasn't the case. But then as I looked at Christianity in general, as I studied uh, science in school expanded. I got to the point where fundamentalism, because it was really fundamentalism. It wasn't even evangelical orthodoxy. It was fundamentalist religion. 
And so that didn't make any sense to me at all. And so I completely deconstructed. How, how old were you when this happened? Uh, 19 to 24 in that area. Uh, I, had, I got married at 19. I was in college. I, I was out of the house and on my own. And so from that time forward, I began a very rapid uh, deconstruction period. And I have to say, I threw the baby out with the bathwater because I, I can remember telling my sister, who was very evangelical, she was concerned about my soul. And I said to her one time, if what I've been taught is the truth, then rather than you getting me back in the church, I just have to proclaim to you right now that I'll happily go to hell because I, I don't believe what's there. I know that hurt her. You know, I was young, probably shouldn't have said that, but it was the way I felt. I felt that there was nothing that was reasonable about Christianity at that point in my life. Wow. All right. So how long did you kind of dangle out there into atheism? Uh, I never was an atheist. I was always, I always believed in a benevolent creator. I, I, I couldn't get away from that. I, I, I looked at the world, I looked at myself, and I could never buy just straight evolution. I could never buy atheism. I knew there had to be a God. I just knew that the God that I learned about when I was young wasn't the right God. Uh, and so that took me on a 20 plus year journey in the metaphysics. And uh, I studied uh, a, a lot of different things. I, I looked at Carlos Castaneda and all of the Yaqui sorcerer shamanism things. Uh, I looked at the Tao of physics and all of that. And so I became uh, really, I would say, uh, involved in kind of the old cult because I was definitely spiritual but not religious. And the spiritual aspect of me, the intuition, my spiritual nature was so strong that I just never could get rid of that. That is a part of me. When I uh, left, I was raised in Michigan and I left Michigan in the 70s and I went to Arizona and it was there that I really got heavily into uh, metaphysics. And I went to this uh, person named Yolanta that had walks, uh, meditative walks. Uh, I've, Could you describe what that is for folks who may not be familiar with the term? It was uh, guided meditation. W what happened is that we would go over there and everybody would sit around her dining room table and it was candle lit. And she would kind of talk us down into a meditative state, have us breathe and uh, get to the point where our eyes were closed and we weren't distracted by anything in the room or anybody that was at the table. Then she would give us an assignment to go on a walk. I remember one time she told me to go on a walk and find my uh, 
guide, my spiritual guide. And so I, and she set it up saying that we're, we're going to walk out into this woodland area and I would see a crystal ball on a stump and I should look at that crystal ball and it would immediately show me my spirit guide. So I did that. And immediately I was in this PT boat and just sailing along the ocean and dropping bombs left and right down into the sea and they were exploding. And then it was over and we would come back and she'd have us all tell our story. So what she said to me was, Joe, what I want you to do in this next walk, because we'd usually do two to do some closure with it. She said, I want you to turn that PT boat into a glass bottom boat. I want you to see what you're blowing up. So when I went back into that boat, I looked down and there were these terrible monsters, just all kinds of horrible looking monsters in the bottom of the glass bottom boat. And all at once out of the bottom shot up this light and this person stood before me that she later told me was this guy named Giovanni. And he told me that, Joe, what you're looking at there is all of your fears. And it, it was interesting because I had a big fear of the water and I wouldn't get in water over my head. And I was living in Phoenix, Arizona, where there was pools all the time, but I would stay at the shallow end. Well, after that exposure of my fears, I was able to dive the deep end to the bottom of the pool with my eyes open, float on my back with my fingers and my toes sticking out of the water. So uh, not only was it spiritual, it was very beneficial for me. All right. So to somebody who's never had encounters like what you're describing, uh, this sounds a lot like, you know, uh, uh, the, the table you described sounds like a seance. Yeah. You know, you halfway expect somebody to pull out a Ouija board yeah. at some point. Uh, and then you're talking about bombs dropping and sea monsters and then Giovanni. Did the, the encounters with Giovanni end uh, with the uh, with your fear of water going away, or is that something that continued? Uh, actually, this Giovanni, uh, which was my spirit guide or my higher self or whatever you want to call it, continued on with me. I communicated often uh, with that entity. I didn't stay with those walks for a long time, not because... Uh, I thought there was anything bad about them, but because of circumstances in my life, I just didn't have time to do it. And I kind of let go of it. And at the same time, I got into numerology and got into a different group and was doing numerology readings. And the one thing that I've found is that throughout my life, I had this sixth sense. I, I could sit with a total stranger and kind of tell them their life if it was meant for me to do that. It isn't that I go around and read people all the time. I, I, I don't do that. And it, it's all in thoughts. But there have been so many times that in my life 
where somebody has needed me to say something to them. And if I had the courage to go with what I was shared, what was shared with me, I should say, then it was always helpful. It, it always resulted in, uh, in something positive. So I guess I forgot Giovanni when I came back to Jesus. And I probably should tell that story we're 20, 20 years, 25 years later. And I'm living in California, and my life has been kind of a stressful thing for a while. And uh, I just, I didn't have a joy of life. The, it, it was gone. And I went out on the back porch in Hayward, California, and I looked up at the sky and I prayed this prayer. I said, God, I know you're up there. And I know you're in charge and I'm not in charge. Because a lot of my metaphysical times, I had bought the wrong attitude that I was God. Uh, in the big G, the only one kind of scenario, which later on you may want me to explain or not explain. But I said, I know you're in charge and I'm not. But what I would like from you is, will you teach me truth? Because everybody and their brother has a book. They all claim that you wrote that book. They don't agree at all. And so would you please teach me truth? So I was doing carpentry work uh, in the Bay Area. And the next day I got in my van to go to San Francisco. And I was headed around 880 to go over the Oakland Bridge. And I began to recite 2 Corinthians 5.17. If any, because, see, I'd learned all that stuff when I was a kid. And I said, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. I began to kind of preach myself a sermon and immediately as I went around the corner, the sun got brighter and everything changed. And I was flooded with peace. So I understood then that Jesus was the answer to my prayer. So I ran out and I bought a Bible, <laughs> which makes sense, right? And as I would read that Bible, I would condemn myself because I'm going to tell you I had to live fast, loved hard, and almost died young during some of this time. And so it was very easy for me to haul back all of that toxic garbage and added to that a view that didn't even see the thing. But yet I went in the closet because I ended up going to seminary, I was a preacher, I even taught seminaries for a while. And in going to the closet, while I did not believe in the doctrine of hell ever, even when I was a kid, even when I was young, I did not believe that doctrine. But I never, while I didn't preach eternal torture, I didn't come out and tell any of those pastors that I was teaching, or I didn't really even tell the people that were in any of the congregations that I was affiliated with that I didn't believe in hell. I just never mentioned it. 
I, I left that alone because I focused on God's grace. Uh, and I focused on what I considered to be <clears throat> the gospel at the time. And that was that God, God cares about us, loves us, and uh, we don't have to worry about anything. So that, I guess, is probably enough to give an idea of where I'm at. But I, I probably also should share this other thing. The thing that got me into my final heresy here, uh, <laughs> the thing that has made me a full-blown heretic was about 10 years ago. And 10 years ago, I came from California where I lived then to Memphis where I live now to a funeral of a woman who had died young that loved Jesus but had an addiction earlier in life. And that came back and she ended up dying as a result of it. And there were so many people that were trying to put her in hell or suggest that that's where she should be that it got me so angry that when I went back to California in 2010, I began a blog called A Paradigm Shift for Thoughtful Evangelicals. And I took all of the things that I'd studied and I began to methodically attack all of the doctrines that I saw to be toxic. And after 10 years, in all of the blogs that I wrote, I realized I was repeating myself. I, you know, I, I had said everything that could be said about that. And that's when I moved on to my most recent blog, which is called the Freedom Blog, and it's God Beyond Religion. So where I'm at right now is I really love Jesus. And I really know that he is a special entity that is the embodiment of the word of God. But I think we miss the boat by not understanding that what he really came to tell us was, so are you and so am I. And while as the firstborn of what I consider to be a new humanity, he has a very special place in my theological life. I don't see it the way Christianity sees it. And uh, of course, we all think we're right, right? So I, I, that's where I'm at with uh, Jesus right now. But I'm actually uh, moving back closer to him than I was because it's a journey, right? I, I was listening to you, the podcast that you had with uh, Christopher just last evening, and you mentioned about Christopher Anchor. Uh, yes, you you mentioned there about uh, wrestling and with transition, and that's what I'm doing. I'm I'm wrestling with this stuff. I'm in transition. But I think I have some answers that might be helpful to someone who wants to still love Jesus like I do and like I know you do, but yes. have not been able 
to put the Bible and specifically the Apostle Paul in the right perspective so that they're just lost in a wash in, in a sea of saying, well, and, and it seems like that if you can't get a handle on what Jesus' message really was, and if you don't get a handle on who Paul was, it is a path, not that this would be terrible eternally, but it's sad for this life. That is a path, I believe, towards atheism, because that's where you're going to end up. It, does that make sense? Absolutely, yeah. And I want to explore all of that before we wrap up our conversation today. But before we do, I want to put a bow on the Giovanni story because you came to a realization about Giovanni later in your life when you did some research on what that name means. Can you tell us about that? Yes, uh, I sure can. All of my life, I was always a grace preacher. So what I found out to be the case is that Giovanni, when I looked it up, it means God is gracious. Now, uh, I, I'm going to go even farther into the woo-woo here, if we can, for a minute, be, because I'll tell you how I arrived at that uh, conclusion to look up what the name meant. I was looking at uh, my MSN webpage, and I saw the, a picture of an individual who was an Israeli, that had been arrested near the prime minister's home. And when I looked at that man, it was the spitting image of this Giovanni that I've never forgotten that came up through that uh, boat bottom years and years ago. And it struck me then that that made a connection that mm, Giovanni was really an Israeli. And so this, he looked like, a lot like uh, the Jesus in the shack. I don't know if you've watched the movie or not. I'm sure you probably have. I have. I love that movie. And yeah. so what I realized was that even during the time that I'd left Jesus, during the time that I'd thrown the baby out with the bathwater, the reality was that he never left me, and he was willing to show up and let Yolanta say that it was Giovanni, but for a real good purpose, because the name Giovanni means God is gracious. And that just shows me how gracious God really is. Absolutely. Man, I love that story. I get tears in my eyes just thinking about it. Oh, how beautiful. All right. Um, I know from reading some of your blogs and some of your written work that you go so far into some of this that you you will sit down, talking about the woo-woo, uh, you will sit down and I don't know if something's being spoken to you or you'll hear something in your mind and just type it. Yes. Can you talk to us about that experience? And then we're going to dive into Jesus and Paul and theology. Sure. I have a journal that's called Prophecies to Me from me. And I, I might as well come out and say, I think that the Jesus that I communicate with, and I, for that matter, I believe that the Jesus that everybody communicates with is in a way a spiritual higher self. I think it, it, it probably, uh, I've said something that uh, I don't have time to clarify, but 
I do sit down, and over the last two or three years, I have, I don't know, 120 pages of writings of this journal where it will start out, hi, Joe, comma, Jesus here. And then it'll just flow. And what flows uh, is a lot of what I've written. If I'm honest, uh, a lot of my insight uh, over the, uh, especially over this latest blog, has come from that journal, as crazy as I may sound to people. And again, I guess I have to say, uh, in thinking that this may make me sound a little crazy, I'm at the point where I don't care because I know that that's more real uh, than a lot of other things that we consider reality. And, uh, you know, we we don't have time to cover uh, all of the things that I've studied in the last couple of years about what reality is and what consciousness is and what spirituality is and all of those things. So, uh I don't know if that answers your question, does it? Or um, I'm trying to understand your experience within the context of my five senses. Can you can you help me understand what it's like? Are you hearing? Of, I know you've said you're not hearing it with your ears, and you've described it as a flow that is taking place. Is is it? Are you hearing a voice in your head? Is it just words that come to you? What does it sound like to you? Uh, it is thoughts. Words that are okay. thoughts. Uh, I, I should, I can clarify this a little bit, I think. Uh, within the metaphysical community, there are people that are clairvoyant. They see movies. There are people that are clairaudient. They hear voices. There are people that are clear sentient. They just sense things. And there are people that are claircognizant they are aware by the thought process. And I would say that I'm a claircognizant because I don't hear voices. I don't see the movie until after word. Sometimes I can see the movie uh, play out, but it all comes to me through consciousness, through thought. Okay, I want to just say to, uh, you know, about half of our audience uh, over the years has been evangelicals and or people who are just recently departed from evangelicalism. And, and I want to say to folks who may be struggling with this story, two things. Number one, I understand because I've been there. And number two, Joe has proven himself, not that he's out to prove anything to anybody, but I, I do not doubt what Joe is saying because of my personal experience with Joe. And I know that there have been moments in my life when I needed to hear a specific thing to keep me from going over a ledge and, and maybe never going back. Um, and, and Joe has popped into my instant messages on Facebook with exactly what I needed to hear. I think of Joe as very intuitive, um, I, Joe, I think you're the first person that I have ever just said, oh my God, he's a mystic. 
um, I've I've always wanted to to know uh, uh, mystics because there's been times when I've experienced just little little bits of the voices or the knowing in my own life, um, but I didn't have anybody to take that to or talk to about it. Um, but then you would pop in at exactly the right moment and we didn't know each other. We were just, you know, friends on Facebook, but you would pop in at exactly the right moment saying exactly what I needed to hear. And so I, I believe all of this, uh, and you have opened me up to some things that I don't think I would have been open to without you. And so I just, first of all, I want to say thank you for following that intuition and saying what needed to be said to me. And I'm sure to many others over the years, but uh, I'm, I'm just trying to wrap my mind and help other folks wrap their minds around your experience because I do think you are such a gift to this world. And I'm grateful for the way that you love Jesus and and seek to follow that highest form of self. I, I agree with you. Uh, I've, I've heard you say, I love Jesus. I, I want to follow Jesus, not in the redeemer, savior, died on the cross for my sins kind of way, because that's not part of the economy that we understand with God at this point, but that we don't have to think of ourselves as garbage in order to think that Jesus was special in some way. Exactly. And to kind of put a a topping on what you just said, I wouldn't have had a problem with this in my Pentecostal days. Because some of the preaching was Pentecostal. And as long as I didn't talk about Giovanni or the table things, as long as I just allowed this to come out of my mouth as a prophet in the Pentecostal setting, it wasn't a problem. Uh, And anybody that listens to you that has had any kind of a charismatic or Pentecostal background uh, has possibly talked in tongues or heard words of knowledge or anything like that, they're going to say, well, you know, what's new about this? The only thing that makes this guy a heretic is that he thinks it's Giovanni and not Jesus. He thinks that uh, he's got a different view of God, perhaps, than I do. And so the heresy is not as much in the knowing the spirituality as it is in being willing to explain exactly how, how it is for me. I understand. Yeah. All right. Let's talk about Jesus. Uh, I know he is a favorite subject of both you and I both, so this could get lengthy. Um, <laughs> who, is, who is Jesus to you today? Jesus is, to me, first and foremost, the incarnation of the Lagos. And I see the Lagos as being the creative source of God, as did the Stoics, as did Hermes, uh, the Egyptians, a lot of people. So I see him as the incarnation of the word of God. But now when you say that, you're not specifically, when you say Logos or Word of God, you're not talking about a book that was assembled in, you know, 1611 or whenever, put together, put between leather, you know, binding. That's not what you're referring to. Absolutely the reverse of that. Uh, And we we don't have the time in this 
for me to even talk about the Word of God per se, but I see him as the Word of God, as I see Jason as the Word of God, and as I see Joe as the Word of God, but he's special because it was revealed to Paul that he was the firstborn of many brothers And it was revealed to Paul that there would be a new humanity as the result of this Jesus. So his special place doesn't have to be that somehow God was packed into this man for his lifetime, uh, which was really a short period during his ministry, three years, I believe. And uh, that God stopped doing everything that God did and became Jesus, who is now God, uh, that's not the way I see the word of God. I think that the word of God was always active in keeping the universe going, even when Jesus walked the face of this earth. But he is uniquely and specially the word of God for me and will be until the day I die. And yet and still, I realize that were he sitting here beside me and we were having a conversation, he might say, well, Joe, it's really time for you to take this up yourself. But I'm not willing in my lifetime to do that. So that's where I place Jesus. I I place him as the firstborn of a new humanity. One of the things that captivated me about your your writings early on when I first uh, started to follow you online was your relationship to the writings of Paul. I think because I had wrestled with uh, evangelical legalism for so long and so much of it was rooted in the words of Paul, I, I tended to throw out that particular baby with the bathwater. I, for a, for a long time, was very angry with Paul I think Paul said some really toxic things, or at least what we've done with things that Paul said or that are attributed to Paul that maybe he didn't write were some really toxic things. Uh, Some really bad doctrine has been built on the words of Paul because we have this this, uh, doctrine of infallibility of Scripture, right? And uh, so I don't sense that you put that pressure on Paul or scripture to be right all the time. Can you talk to us about how you came to see Paul as correctly interpreting Jesus? I think that Paul is a walking dichotomy. You have Paul, the rabbi that studied at the feet of Gamaliel. He was a Pharisee, Paul was. So he knew Torah backward and forward, and he was steeped in first century Judaism. So now let's put ourselves in Paul's shoes. We're this gotta be righteous. I'm perfect in it, all of my actions, kind of Paul. And all at once I'm headed out to kill these crazy Christians. And on a road, I get blinded by a light and I meet this Jesus that I'm out trying to persecute. But I know that the encounter that I've had is so real that it changed my life completely. So I cannot deny it. So now we have a person 
that needs a transition. And Paul himself says that it took 14 years for this transition to happen. And I say that he never really could and never really did get over his studying at the feet of Gamaliel. And so when Paul would get a revelation like where sin abounds, grace abounds all the more, he couldn't keep his mouth shut then. He had to go to the next page and say, oh, but God forbid, should we sin so that grace may abound? So, so much of Paul is the rabbi. Paul, the rabbi, sneaks through into the work. And as long as a person has an inerrant view of Scripture that Paul kind of had from his Pharisaic days. In other words, Paul saw the Torah as directly from God. God told it to Moses. Moses gave it to them, and it was a direct revelation. Uh, Christianity, even, even most scholars, in my view, don't understand the pressure that Paul had with his Judaism and his belief in Yahweh, the Torah, and all of that. But Paul was given a difficult job, and that was to prepare humanity for becoming a new humanity, a humanity that was based on love. And and I'm not even so sure that Jesus wasn't limited in the incarnation itself with the same problem, although not to that extent because he didn't make the claims, he didn't make the bold claims that Paul made. So let me let me put it this way. I was thinking about this just the other day. If we throw Paul out, you might as well throw Christianity out because most of the good parts of Christianity came from Paul. And you can say, well, blasphemy, Joe, what do you mean? <laughs> I mean the definition of love in 1 Corinthians 13. How do we know that God keeps no records of wrongs? Paul. How do we know what the fruit of the spirit is, that it's love, joy, peace? We don't know that without Paul. So if you pull Paul out of the mix, then Jesus becomes kind of a Zen master for Judaism and Christianity doesn't exist. And so therefore, if you want to pull the the Sermon on the Mount and, and some of the the good things that Jesus said, uh, you can do that, but you don't have Christianity without Paul. And uh, you don't have an understanding, I believe, of what God wanted to mystically and metaphysically reveal to humanity without Paul. Yeah, and I'm afraid that that's exactly where I was headed, to dis disqualify Paul 
based on some toxic things that he said or, or doctrines that were built on things that he said or maybe didn't mm-hmm. say. And I was missing the plot because I had disqualified someone who really, and honest to God, he just reminded me too much of myself. Mm-hmm. The parts of me I didn't like. Mm-hmm. And so I was ready to throw him out. But I know that I'm not alone in that because I see a huge movement in this deconstruction movement to disregard Paul completely. What's so sad to me is that if you look at the story of Paul as played out in the New Testament, it's really the greatest deconstruction story in the Bible. Yes, Exactly. But we've got this pressure that, well, he either had it all right or he had it all wrong. And we forget he was a human being like Joe and like Jason. And so while he had moments of inspiration, and I absolutely believe that he had an incredible encounter with this mystical Jesus, but trying to fit a mystical Jesus into a legalistic first century Judaism doesn't always work. And so he struggled with that and he'd go back and forth and he'd talk about the grace of God and then he'd slide back into legalism and then he'd talk about the grace of God and then he'd hold Peter accountable for eating, you know, not eating with the right people or the wrong people. And so we see that back and forth that reminds us of ourselves. Yes. And so we want to do away with it so we don't have to think about who we are. At least that was my problem. Let me ask you this, Jason. Uh, and I'm asking really everybody that's listening. If you were in Paul's shoes, or I was in Paul's shoes, and you could have the foresight to know that everything that you wrote was going to be enshrined and legally followed as a constitutional legal document that couldn't be varied, do you think you would have written everything Paul wrote? I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have put, had I, had I had the heart of what I believe the heart of Paul is, which was a heart towards Christ and a heart towards humanity and a heart towards humanity becoming a better humanity. I would not have put anything in writing if I'd have known what was going to happen with evangelical Christianity in 2020. Mm Mm-hmm. Right. Does that yeah. make sense? It does. And and what a tragedy that would be to not have 1 Corinthians 13. Yeah. To not know the depths of grace, to not know that nothing can separate us yes. from the love of God, which is ours in Christ Jesus. Uh, we would not have those words if it was me writing it, because if I knew what people were going to do, I promise you I would have never let them see anything that I had to say. And, and we haven't even mentioned him saying that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. Which was such a radical statement for a Pharisee to make. Yes, it was. And so if you get rid of Paul, in my view, you might as well get rid of Christianity because uh, it has no or it doesn't have much value. Uh, the, the teachings of Jesus, turn the other cheek, love your neighbor. Great. Uh, that's a good teaching. I can almost get that from Lao Tzu and the Tao. I can get that from the Eightfold Path and Buddhism. Uh, so th- this is the thing that, that hurts my heart. I think that because of the toxicity 
of orthodoxy in general. I'm not going to give them a, a pass. Uh, I'm not going to give orthodoxy a pass. Evangelical orthodoxy is a thing to itself. But orthodoxy doesn't deserve a pass in this because for whatever reason that I can't comprehend at this time, it has blocked one of the most important revelations that humanity could ever have. And when I'm talking about humanity, I'm talking about the 7.8 billion people that are on the planet. I'm not talking about the 500 million, 5% that are evangelical. I'm not talking about the 2.1 billion, the 30% that are Christian. This is a message given the possibility of eclectic spirituality that could benefit everyone without making them have to run out and say the sinner's prayer and change their life. They, they can remain a Buddhist, a Muslim, a Taoist, uh, any, anything and benefit from the spiritual revelation, the, the mystical revelation that God gave us through Jesus Christ and later the Apostle Paul. I believe that with all my heart. Because as the shack taught us, Jesus was not a Christian. Yes. Yeah. Uh, this conversation has been such a gift, and I hope that we can pick this up and have more conversations like it in the future. I think you have so much to offer, um, and I really want to hear more about uh, following Jesus, this mystical Christ that Paul encountered but I know that our, our time is limited for today. So I, I want to mention that you sent me a little a preview look at a book that you're working on. Can you talk to us about that and what you're hoping to accomplish, what the title is going to be once it eventually gets released? Yeah, yeah. it's going to be uh, God Beyond Religion, Eclectic Spirituality. It, it deals with uh, the spiritual realm, it deals with cognitive science. Uh, I mean, uh, there are so many cutting-edge things that are happening, not in woo-woo, uh, but in actual scientific universities across the world that are showing that this whole thing that we call the Earth is consciousness. And it's, uh, I mean, the universe, the whole universe is nothing but consciousness that has the ability to create material existence. Uh, that is being shown, and that, to me, should boost every Christian, every, everybody that believes in uh, any kind of spirituality should feel vindicated to know that science is finally moving in the direction of saying, no, it it's not woo-woo at all. The, the ancients were correct. Uh, it is a metaphysical world that we live in. So that's what, that's what the book's about. But it has the Christian bent because I'm a Christian. I was born a Christian. I was raised a Christian. I have a relationship with Christ and there's no reason for me to jump to another religion. I just need to be able to incorporate the mystical revelation that has come to all religions 
into my Christianity so that it helps me get toward the new humanity, which I'm not going to see because, as I said earlier, I'm 75. But I think that we're on the cusp of seeing a humanity that will reflect some of the ideals that Paul and Jesus talked about. So that's what's basically in this book, is to introduce what I call eclectic spirituality, which is pulling from here, pulling from there, and finding truth, and finding a way to know that it's truth. And uh, I, I think that that I should tell you, I, I realize we're close to the end, but I want to take a couple more minutes if I can. Sure, go ahead. If John, who was another mystic that we didn't talk about, is correct, if God is love, and I believe that that is the case, that God is love, then we need to have the understanding of how this all fits together, not just for the Christian, not just for the Buddhist, not even just for the atheist, because everybody's fine. There's no eternal torture, but there is a life that we're living and we can become more human if we understand that to become more human is to become more spiritual. Beautiful. Very well said. How can folks find you online? You've raised some things. People are going to want to reach out to you and ask follow-up questions. <laughs> How can folks get a hold of you online? Uh, well, you can uh, reach me. Uh, I have a public Facebook, so that's probably the easiest way. How do they find your blog? Uh, it is uh, a blog a blog spot. Uh, the one is called uh, the freedom blog. And I believe that it's, uh, man, I've, I should have wrote this down because I should have anticipated the question. I'm not sure if they, if they just look up Joe Mishuda yeah. on Facebook, you can find the blog because I post okay, them all very the time. Good. That's- uh, friends, I'm going to post links to Joe's blog and to his Facebook page in the show notes for this episode. I hope you'll take advantage of those, check those out and be looking for God Beyond Religion, the book, uh, hopefully sometime next year. Uh, I'm greatly looking forward to that. Uh, I know that I've got at least one or two publishers that have listened to this podcast in the past. If you happen to be listening today, get in touch with Joe. You need to put this book out. Uh, Folks like me are going to be lining up for it. So Joe, I just want to say to you, I love you. And I'm so grateful for you you and your life. And thank you for having the courage to say things out loud that I've felt, but never felt a liberty to say. And I'm so grateful for your example and for your witness uh, and just your boldness. I love the fact that you're 75 and don't care what anybody thinks. I think that's that's what freedom sounds like to me. And I hope you just keep going for many, many, many years to come. Well, thank you. And I do love you, Jason. And I'm so blessed to know you. And uh, I I just can't say any more than that. It, it's It's been a real pleasure for me to participate in this. And I I can't do anything but thank you. Thank you, sir. We're going to do it again soon, I hope. Great. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Messy Spirituality Podcast. 
If you found it meaningful, please rate and review the show on iTunes or your podcast platform of choice. Join the conversation by following the show on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, or by joining our listener-exclusive Messy Conversations group on Facebook. You can help us produce future episodes by becoming a patron at www.patreon.com slash messy spirituality. Finally, check out Jason's weekly Pathios column at messyspirituality.org. We'll be back soon with another new episode.